Hello, and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim, and with me is Teal. How's it going, buddy? How's it going? So, did you uh, get your tickets for the upcoming Taylor Swift movie yet? I have not gotten my tickets yet. Uh, what? One of my, Yeah. It's because my kids are going with their friends. Oh, well, then you don't need to see it. <laughs> so I might not need to see it unless there's a whole family outing to it. But mm. uh, I'm okay with not seeing it. Do they have their tickets? They have their tickets. Because uh, my wife wants to see the movie. And, and my littlest wanted to see it too. So we have tickets. We just got, my, my wife got them. And I I had said the other day, I said, well, you'd want to see it. Did you order tickets yet? She said, no, I better. So we go to the site. Uh, yeah. up north which is a bigger theater and shockingly this theater is never sold out right yeah but there were seats and we're gonna go that sunday first show but i was shocked at how many of the seats were already sold so the day that it was announced that this movie was coming out i went to look for tickets and every show at every theater within 15 miles was sold out they since added shows, but the day it was announced, they sold out every initial show. And of course, you live in a more populated area than I do. Yeah, yeah, but but as a result, I also have a lot more screens. This is true. So there were, you know, but it was sold out on every screen, and you know, then they added more shows, and now it's uh, you can go to it. But uh, when does it open? It opens on, I supposedly it's Taylor Swift's lucky days, the Friday the thirteenth. Friday the 13th, Taylor's lucky day. Yeah, she loves all those little Easter eggs and stuff. I don't know any of it. I'm not, I mean, I'm not probably the demographic for this movie, but. You're not a Swifty? I know. I mean, I don't mind her, and that's why I'm going to go. I'm kind of curious to see how a modern concert movie plays, because I don't think I've seen a concert movie, a new one, in years. Yeah, it's just not really a genre that is as popular as it used to be. <laughs> it could be in the future now. Um, but he- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I mean, this movie, it, it, you had mentioned earlier that uh, the studios are freaking out about this Taylor Swift movie. And <laughs> it's, I mean, how much is this thing going to make? Well, okay, so this is it. I'd like to get... I'm better at this than you. I'll be admi- admittedly, but I, and I have a, I have a number. But I'd like to hear your weekend U.S. because I don't know how well internationally she would. And I don't even know if it's playing internationally. But right. what do you think the U.S. box office for her opening weekend will be? I'm guessing a hundred million. Well, that's what the industry is kind of targeting now. That's but but I'm going to go way out on a limb, and I think that this movie is going to make 140 million dollars over the weekend. Okay, I I think that's entirely possible. I think it could even break a record. Uh, I th- I think it could. Well, what's interesting is it. I feel like it's a little bit like the Barbie movie, right? I mean, Taylor Swift is without question the biggest star in the world uh, right now, and I, I think I think the film would do well internationally too, but. It's pulling people out into a cultural moment the same way Barbenheimer did. Well, it's it's people will go to the theater to see a movie, but it's not about seeing a movie. It's about getting a chance to see Taylor Swift in concert, especially if you didn't get a chance to see her. Yeah, so I know people who like <laughs> watch streams of her concerts on TikTok or Twitch or whatever, like from somebody's phone, like 
those people are paying to see the movie, no question, right? Right. And these are people, uh, I'm talking about like middle-aged moms that are swift. Yeah, no, there's, I, I, I heard I heard something about the concerts and somebody described go, the pro, the whole thing of going there. And this was an adult male and just like kind yeah. of like kind of jaw dropped at the whole goings on that go there, the, the mania. Yeah, total mania. And uh, yeah, no, I listen to Taylor a lot because it's playing around my house a lot. And so, I, you know, I like Taylor. I would be happy to see the movie, but uh, I, I will also watch it at home 10 or 12 times once it comes out at home. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm definitely going to be there. I was, I, I actually had that as a whole lead and wasn't a joke. I actually knew that your kids are going to go see it and I'm, I'm going to be seeing it, you know, so we'll probably, uh, make a mention at some future episode of, uh, how that was. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I saw somebody post something about stop making sense. Oh, they're, they're doing a whole, so it's, it's a whole restored 4k launch. Yeah. There's different kinds of concert movies for me, and I feel like this Taylor Swift one is going to be like a live event filming, right? Like, they just put some cameras up, so it'll be more like an awards show kind of movie. Oh, yeah, there was no... I don't think there was any plans, but some genius, and I do mean genius, said, wait a minute, <laughs> everybody's on... You know, this is an opportunity, and I, I, I think that person deserves a promotion. <laughs> Uh, absolutely and uh it may have been taylor herself because she's a genius at business apparently uh well yeah i mean that whole thing with doing taylor's version of her albums is uh, genius well that was that was different there was a different reason there was a different reason but it was still a brilliant way to get out of it and now people listen to the taylor's version okay Kids, I know that you're all Taylor Swift fans, but I think it's time to move on to a new topic. <laughs> we spent way too much time on Taylor Swift. Um, yeah, let's talk about Barbie. Uh, no. Uh, though I think I think it just dropped on digital streaming. So if you were one of these people who didn't get out to see Barbie, now you can get your chance. And you'll probably be like, I don't know what the fuss was all about, but that's what a hype thing is. Uh, so I made a trek. You know me and yes. my trek. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I made a trek over the weekend to Cambridge, Massachusetts, to the old Brattle Theater, um, which is great. It's not like a super awesome like movie palace or anything, but it, it's no, just but it's a, a classic. It's an institution, and they show things. It's the Fenway of movie theaters. It's the Fenway of movie theaters. It shows things in 35 <laughs> millimeter and digital, and it's just it's a great place to catch like stuff you're not going to see anywhere else and they have you know repertoire mm -hmm. cinema and just you know series and things and they are doing uh a retrospective on french post new wave filmmaker jean ustache uh who was kind of relevant in the 70s and then he passed away in the early 80s but we mentioned him a few months ago when we talked about his magnum opus the mother and the whore okay let me just interrupt you for a second you said post new wave what makes him post new wave as opposed to new wave well because they consider as i've been, I've been studying up on this a little bit more <laughs> they kind of feel like the french new wave was really the 60s and late 50s okay and, and then in the 70s so anything post weekend I think that's it. End of cinema, right? So that was sort of end, end of, of John Godard's new wave period. And then I think May 68 happened in Paris. 
And mm-hmm. it kind of embarked a new era. And a lot of movies that came out in the 70s were sort of commentary on how Paris had evolved and changed since then. And so while I think we first labeled The Mother and the Whore in our show as a French New Wave film, it's actually considered post-New Wave. Right. Even though it's sort of aesthetically indistinguishable from the New Wave. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was shot down and dirty, but they had a new 4K restoration of the film and of course as you know the the copy i saw looked really bad and the copy you saw was terrible and it wasn't even it was like truncated a little bit it was like three hours and 25 minutes and the uh whole film was supposed to run three hours and 39 minutes Oh, so the brattle was showing as part of they have. There's a retrospective kicking around at those kind of big cities and it's called the dirty stories of jean ustache Okay. And it's pretty much all his films, including some shorts and other things. And of course, I wasn't going to be in town to watch all of these things. But right. when I decided I'm going to go see this whole Mother and the Whore, and partly because I wanted to see a better copy and just to get the experience of, okay, we had this question when I was watching a lot of these movies, which were all seen at home on my big screen TV. Is there a difference seeing these yeah. films in the theater versus seeing them at home? And, you know, I'd seen the the Future Slaves of Liberty. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Fugitive Slaves of Liberty. And I saw that on the big screen and it would just, you know, it really wowed me. So I wanted to see, well, here's a film that, you know, it, it had its moments, but I wanted to just, I don't know, I'm, in, I'm insane. I just figured I'd go right. and see this three hour and 39 movie. It, it, it's not like you went to see this because it's your favorite film of all time. You have a lot of problems with this film. Yes. So it was more about the experience of seeing in the theater and a nice print and all that kind of stuff. And an endurance test, because that's a movie where it's all talk and there's not a lot of camera movements or like cinematic stuff. And so I'm kind of like to test myself. Can I sit there for three hours and 39 minutes? Especially where in the Brattle, they have this glowing clock on the side. It's always going to tell you how far into the movie you're at. And you've got like one of the most detestable main characters in cinema history. <laughs> well, so I, right, so I go see this, and the first thing that comes up, they do the, they they showed a trailer for the whole series, and then when the film rolling, I discover this is all sponsored by Janus Films. Okay, that which I didn't even really know they still existed. Well, Janus Films is Criterion. Oh, okay, yes. That's why you always see their their logo yeah. on the criteria. Yeah, the Janus Films is the criterion is their distribution arm kind of for home media. Okay. So the criterion channel and Janus films are sort of one and the same. And what I'm hopeful for now, once this series kind of makes its way through all the art areas. Yeah. I bet you that they'll put this out on like a Blu-ray stuff. And then they'll hopefully do a series on criterion channel where they'll show all this stuff. Cause I'd like to catch the rest of it. Yeah, I would not be the least bit surprised if they did that. Yeah, so I was encouraged by that. Now, the movie itself, we're not going to go through a whole recap, but I will. <laughs> but a few things. Um, a, it was very difficult for me to discern what I missed in, the, in right. the shortened version. I think there's some scenes that just go on a little bit longer, it seemed to me. Like, I was like, I don't remember okay, the speech yeah. being that long. <laughs> but it could have been. I clearly only saw a three hour and 25 minute version. And then I just watched the three hour and 40. Um, secondly, there were times where it was, uh, I was getting a little sleepy. Uh, I had to go out and get myself a ginger ale, you know, <laughs> to wake up. Um, but 
then it's like it does do this weird thing after like the first hour or something. And I think yeah. it's really more when he gets involved with the nurse. Yes. You suddenly get more absorbed and time flies by a little bit. Yeah. Then, of course, it took me a while to watch The Mother and the Whore. I had watched it, stops and starts until it oh, really right, right. kicked yeah, in. Oh, right, right. Yeah, didn't do it in one set. So the second half of the film felt way more familiar because I probably saw that a lot closer in time. Right, right. But here's some funny things. First of all, I mean, you don't, when you see a, finally you see a movie and there's not a scratch on it. Yeah, it's a whole different experience. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, I think, in order to make it, like, I saw everything was so overexposed that this being kind of graded in, it, it's kind of like, I feel like it's almost like a touch dark, like a, a film print of it would have looked nicer. Oh, interesting. Okay. But, I mean, it was just nice to not, it didn't look as unprofessional. Right, it right. It, it's it's a little less gorilla. It didn't. It really it felt more like a real movie, even though it's still it's a one three three shot in sixteen millimeter black and white. But also the sound. I remember in almost every scene just hearing the film projector noise from right. the camera or the camera projector noise, and I feel like they were able to to remove a lot of that. Okay, yeah. So it's a whole remastered sound too. Yeah. So it sounded better, and then it was funny this time around. You know, the lead guy, he wasn't as annoying this time. Well, I think once you know what you're getting with him, and also once you know the ending he's getting, yeah, it changes how you see the character a little bit. I like I, I know that on a second viewing, I I would be like, okay, I know who this guy is. I'm going to be less annoyed by him now. Well, I also think the ending is a little bit extended. There's a scene, I don't know, maybe, you know, help me out. When he, he, there's like a whole thing at the apartment at the end where um, the nurse has- The three of them are in bed. Yeah, but she has a super, she comes in, she comes in drunk at the end. And and she has this very long speech Mm -hmm. and she's crying and crying. I could, I could be mistaken, but I feel like the speech was longer and more intense in this. Yeah, I would have to. I, I, yeah, I, I, I my know. My memory is not good enough. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't say, go ahead and rewatch yeah. it before we have this conversation. Um, but the girl, and I don't even remember the names, but the girlfriend who, who's the live-in girlfriend, the yeah. one that's, whose apartment it is. So he takes the nurse home and yeah. she's there left alone. And then she puts on a piece of music. And I feel like that scene in the version we first saw was very short. It kind of cuts, like they leave her and then it goes to them. But in this, there's like this very long single shot scene where the music is playing and she's sitting there by herself and then she actually breaks down. And I think that it really signifies that she knows that this is over. And I don't really feel like that was in the version we saw. And it definitely changes the the scope of the ending and the power. Yeah, that's very interesting. Again, I had already forgotten the ending a little bit. I knew that uh, she tells him, the nurse, that she's pregnant. And I don't remember what happened at the end of the version we watched. But in this version, he asks her to marry him. And she says yes. But then she gets sick because she's drunk and pregnant. And he kind of collapses to the floor a little bit. And then it's over. So that may have been the same or not. But maybe in this elongated version... The movie has a lot more power there. Right. 
It was interesting. I don't think it's one of the top 250 greatest movies. <laughs> so um, you still you still wouldn't put it in the top 250. No, no. And then there's like this weird problematic thing, and I did some research on this. He has that one friend, the guy who stole some poor guy's uh, wheelchair. Yes. And the guy, and I remember seeing picking up on this in the first time, but he has this sort of fascination with um, with uh, Nazis and fascism. Yes. Well. They have a weird, so I don't know, maybe Jean Eustache was a bit, I guess, more of a right-wing uh, French politics oh. guy. And it kind of puts a new spin on this main character is kind of a right-wing dude. And Interesting. His, his, him and his friend, he play, He does this thing, which I didn't pick up on until I did some after reading. He mm-hmm. like knocks on his friend's door and he gives a knock that is actually a... It's a subversive thing. It's a special knock that stood that you were a um, a French uh, occupation of Algeria proponent. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so so I don't know whether it's a little joke he has between his buddy, a little couple, or what. But like, it, there's some really weird things going on in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the scene with his friend, I I've been trying to find out. He says. He puts on a record and he says, this is who the Nazis replaced Dietrich with. Yeah. He's really fascinated with what was going on in Nazi Germany. Yeah. Point. But I've, I've I've been curious to find out who they replaced Dietrich with. And I haven't been able to find the answer to that. Oh, question. it might be online somewhere. But but anyways, so I, I made a mission because I'm just a dedicated freak <laughs> that likes to of go course. and, you know, and I, and I definitely feel that I got a little bit more out of it um, this time. But I also feel like it's the last time I'll ever watch that movie. <laughs> okay, so this has not inspired me to watch the film when it comes out on Criterion, if it does. You know what? You might want to check out a few minutes just to see how it looks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't feel like I need to watch the film again necessarily. Well, it's a long undertaking for that. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to – yeah, I don't know – it's a real question for me. I feel like if I'm putting together a hundred or two fifty list, like every film on there needs to be uh, rewatchable. I would agree. Um, I also think that um, one of the one of the criteria it seems for these two hundred fifties is people are looking for things that are unlike other things in film. Sure. Yeah. They kind of go, oh well, we get the standard Hollywood fare, and unless a, a standard Hollywood fare does something so unusual. We want things that represent what film can be in other ways. And I do have to say, especially watching it this second time, that because Jean Eustache is just using a film camera as the medium to be able to get his story out into the world and not necessarily trying to make something very filmic, it is one of the more unusual uh, movies I've ever seen. Like I I couldn't say, oh, this film is like this film. I, right, I don't right. think there's any other film that is quite like The Mother and the Whore, which does make it very interesting uh, if you're a film goer to want to see it. Well, absolutely. And I I feel that same way as I sort of get what Hollywood is doing. And when something does something else and does it well, I'm thrilled. Now, uh, just a quick shout out uh, for you people out there that are like, well, movies are going to dry up <laughs> because everybody's on strike and the TV season's going to be really hard. So what can I watch? Well, if you have Criterion Channel, uh, you might want to go on a deep dive of these five films that they put up there, a little series that caught our attention. Uh, and I said our attention, my my wife and our youngest yeah. uh, it is called 
hopping vampires of Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we were like, what? So we watched, the, they put these little trailers together on Criterion, and it looks so outrageous. And we watched with my, our youngest, the the Japanese horror film, Haozu. Yeah. And he, he's a huge fan. He has a Haozu t-shirt now, <laughs> and he loves it. Because it's just out of control. It's yeah, so yeah, outrageous. It's totally insane. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And so we were like, we got to watch this. And there's four films in this Mr. Vampire series. Okay. And then there's a film that kind of precedes that, and it's called Encounters of the Spooky Kind. Okay. <laughs> and we have now watched Encounters of the Spooky Kind and three of the four uh, Mr. Vampire movies. Okay, so it's a series. It's not an entire subgenre. Well, I guess it has launched a subgenre. <laughs> it, like, it, these movies launched a subgenre. Oh, wow. Okay. And the the Vam- Mr. Vampire series, they're connected by this only. A lot of them are made by the same filmmaker. I think that Mr. Vampire was probably a name that they gave for international distribution. Right. Um, and it helped link, like, oh, we can make more money. It's another movie in the Mr. Vampire series. It tends to feature at least one actor seems to be in, all of, in the first uh, three of them. And he's also in uh, Encounters of the Spooky Kind. And... The situations are all similar, but mm-hmm. sometimes they're in different time periods and they don't, they're not really connected as true sequels. Right. But they sort of circle around the same concept. Yeah. Except for, I think the last one, the third one didn't have any actual hopping vampires, what? but the others do. And it's the greatest thing ever. And then we've now, I've done a lot of like, you know, side research on this whole thing. And it's great because it's kind of like in Europe, they have vampire stories and what was unique to America was they had zombie movies, right? And yeah. then they, they liked the, their vampire movies too. And there's always sort of like a whole, there's like tropes and, and, and themes and things that have to be in, say, a zombie movie and have to be right, in right. a vampire movie. Well, Obligatory scenes. Yeah. And so in Hong Kong, they've got this whole genre of hopping vampires. And it comes with this whole kit and caboodle like... Uh, formula of stuff that has to be there. There's like <laughs> there's like spells that you can cast to stop them. Um, the it, 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 there's like certain things that the hopping vampires tried to do. They can possess people. You can stop them by putting on a talisman on their head, which is like a little banner, a yellow banner <laughs> that has written uh, written spells in chicken blood and all these other wow. things. There's swords made of coins that can like stop them. And they're they're real fun. I mean, these aren't horror movies. These are like right, right, right. kind of weird comedy movies. But the first one, the Encounters of the Spooky Kind, was the best okay. of all of them. And the story is great. It's kind of like a classic story. But what makes it fantastic is the main guy who was is who stars in the film and he also directs yeah. it he turned out that he was one of the great actually he's still alive but he was one of the great kung fu choreographers oh okay and was like instrumental in hong kong action films did stuff with um jackie chan did some early okay. films with him george lucas actually tried to get him for the choreography for the lightsaber fights in the prequel movies. Okay. But he wasn't interested because George Lucas is a fan of his right. stuff. But the combination of the of the vampire antics 
And then these tremendous, amazing Hong Kong like action scenes with karate and stuff are so kinetic and fantastic in this movie that I could watch this movie 10 times. <laughs> so are they on wires? Is it like Wuxia or? Yeah, it's, you know what? The first one especially kind of, kind of grabs on sort of like combines Wuxia versus uh, hopping vampires. Uh, okay. <laughs> the wires like are, are really hidden right. in, in that movie. In the Mr. Vampire series, oh, oh you're going to see wires. And it doesn't matter because it's literally hilarious. <laughs> right. Like they just do these crazy things. I can't explain it. The first Mr. Vampire movie is the best one. The second one's not as good, but it's still good. The third one, it's getting a little tired, but we still enjoy it. I don't know what the fourth one's going to bring, but okay. I mean, Well, I am definitely going to check out Encounters of the Spooky Kind. I don't know which one of your kids might like it, but maybe your youngest, but you got to sit down with her because we had a field day watching. We love, like at the end of the movie, Right, which has one of the great, in my opinion, one of the greatest freeze frame moments. All of the movies end in a freeze frame, by the way. Yeah, um, oh, that perfect. seems to be another part of the thing is that every one of these films ends in a hilarious freeze frame. <laughs> the first one, when the when it when the freeze frame happened, the credits went up. The three of us cheered because we loved the movie so much. It was the greatest. It's really an awesome movie that I can't believe has existed this long and I never saw. So That I, is fantastic. Encounters well, I look of the forward, Spooky Kind. I look forward to it. They're all about like an hour and a half. So they're really easy. Yeah, I've, I've watched some junk lately. Um, <laughs> you could have watched this. You're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's funny because I was thinking about this during the month when we were talking about Mother and the Whore is that sometimes my kids are like, well, my youngest is, is, is doesn't want to watch movies that look old. Oh well, yeah. I don't think you want to sit her down and watch that Mother and the <laughs> right. Whore, man. She would never um, forget. You know, but but what my point with Mother and the Whore was that the the version we saw looked old, right? But when you do a 4K restoration of one of these older films, some of that oldness gets removed, and you can see the film in a much cleaner way, and. I think that does have an impact on how you see the movie. And if if there's a grainy old look to it, it's very different than having a clean, pristine print. I agree. Uh, and so I think, yeah, that's some, sometimes what my kid reacts to, you know, because they like the modern stuff. They're all on their phones. No, I know you can't, you know, at some point they might, you, you have to let them on their own timetable say that they want to check out old stuff you can't force it on them i did force uh stanley kubrick's the killing because she is big into heist movies and i was like okay you gotta watch this so that you know like and she liked it and she liked it a lot even though it was kind of old timey but she liked it a lot uh because she likes that whole she likes getting the crew together and pulling off a heist movies uh you know she loves oceans 11 things like that so she insisted uh, that we watch this movie that came out this year uh, that her friends had watched and everyone, uh, uh, all her friends were talking about it. So she insisted that we watch it. Uh, not a movie that I necessarily would have picked out on my own um, called Missing. Do you know this movie? Oh, yeah. I didn't want to see that. I didn't really want to see it either. And it's... The, the I, I think it's the reason I'm noting it at all is because of the conceit of the movie is that the entire movie takes place on a computer screen, right? So everything is FaceTime chats, 
text messages, security cameras, doorbell cams, whatever, uh, all opening and closing windows on the screen. So it's kind of like a new version of the found footage thing that kind of got 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 started with the um, the Blair Witch Project, and then unfortunately never ended. <laughs> Yeah, although I would say it's much more tightly structured than found footage because you can just open up a new window suddenly. You don't have to like wait for the next take. Right. No, it's smart. And so it moves along really quickly. It's a pretty standard thriller, uh, despite its its form of narrative discourse. But uh, it, it's a pretty, you know, it's about this... Uh, I don't know. I think she's like 18. Uh, her mom goes missing and she's trying to track down her mother by looking at these Instagram posts and you know, all these different things. And it, 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 she thinks there's kind of a conspiracy. I won't give away the whole ending, but uh, it's a pretty standard kind of family thriller with the evil dad kind of thing. But my daughter was glued to it. She loved she loved the way it was made. She loved the uh, text message aesthetic of the whole thing and the whole concept of it. And it does, it, it, there's a few, towards the end, there's a few places where it's like, yeah, they really had to stretch to get a camera in there. Uh, but then there's one point where there's almost like a big action scene. And uh, it's like, wait, how do, what, how do they get the cameras here? And then the window shrinks down and it's a Netflix movie of the story of the movie. Just so you know, <laughs> there is sort of a similar thing uh, on the latest season of Netflix's Black Mirror. Oh, there is. Okay. Well, it's a whole thing where somebody didn't read the the disclaimer it's it's not i don't think it's exactly netflix right. it's a fake netflix but they didn't read all of the user agreements and didn't realize that their likeness now and their personality everything about them and their life is free to be used by the streamer oh okay and so now suddenly what happens is she's being uh, taped and she's really a despicable person and then suddenly the next day the show premieres about her being a despicable person and all the things that happened during that day are now being shown, but by a, like a famous actress playing her and stuff. Okay, that's, that's kind of funny. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a little bit of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the, I don't know. The missing movie I think is interesting just because it does this form of telling, but uh, I can't recommend it uh, unless you're just into standard no. thrillers. Maybe I'll check it out if, the, if any of the kids are ever interested. Yeah. I, I, I don't highly recommend it, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not mad that I saw it. Uh, and, and also when I want, you know, when my kid is like, okay, my friends want to watch this movie. I'm not going to sit there and tear the movie apart. Yeah. I understand. Right. I'm, and to some extent I'm putting that aside. It's sort of like, okay, I don't really care if I like this movie. I'm just going to watch it. And, you know, and I do tend to do this, uh, with, <laughs> with, with quick, efficient, cheap little thrillers that I tend to, uh, watch from time to time. The other one I saw recently is called influencer, which is also a, a similar premise in a way. This woman takes over people's lives on social media. And that's the premise of the thriller, right? Is that she basically kills somebody, takes over their life, pretends to be them, uses their bank accounts and whatnot, and is a scammer. Okay. 
And, you know, again, it's like a concept that couldn't have existed 15 years ago. It needs social media, it needs Photoshop, it needs all this technology. And so I do think it's interesting, particularly in thrillers, to see how technology has changed over the last 30 years from uh, pay phones through cell phones, through the Internet. Uh, all of these technologies have really come into play in thrillers, I think, more than any other subgenre. Mm. Um, because they're about information, right? And so suddenly we have cameras everywhere, and uh, we can, and we have instant communication. These things didn't used to be possible. It used to be like, oh no, I'm out of quarters for the payphone. How many scenes times have we seen that scene? Right. Well, it's also that like a lot of thrillers too that have like heavy communication yes. wise plots. They will. Um, be set in the past because it's too hard to do in the future with all the technology. They couldn't, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And so this missing movie just embraces all the technology, but it is something I find interesting watching, you know, I'm, both of us have been watching a lot of older films lately and to just the, to see how technology has impacted the stories, I think is just a, you know, interesting little side note. Well, I haven't even been able to see very many new movies um, lately that are worth note, but I, I did catch, um, a movie that you talked about on the last show uh, afterwards, once I, you know, because you sprung it on me and I didn't know about it, was this Palm Trees and Power Lines movie. Yes. And, and I was not a fan. <laughs> you, not, yeah, you were not a fan. I did not like it. Um, but you know what? Part of the reason, and, and I'm only bringing this movie up again because it kind of segues into the next film that I want to talk about, is don't know anything about the filmmaker, but I think that's a problem I have with today's filmmakers. I don't think that there's they have really any true guts and the stories they tell are just very they're very wad it's almost like they were either taught on a on an online like uh, <laughs> write a screenplay program or they were taught at some film school or something and that this is how you got to it's like it's almost like whatever the rules are today to make a film it, everything is just two in the lines and the story about a girl who's you know like has a single mom who's not seeming to be around that much and doesn't like her friends and then she gets involved with this kind of dangerous character and gets seduced by him groomed by him or whatever it yeah. um it just rang so false to me and so like oh i gotta fill in the note here and note there even her performance didn't like it didn't care oh I didn't, Interesting. I didn't like. Okay. I I didn't like anything. About, I didn't buy any moment of that movie. I, I'm just being honest. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you, so it's so not just on a story level, like on the performance level, you didn't buy it either. Well, I mean, I didn't think she was. She didn't. It wasn't a bad actress or anything. Right. But it, it didn't. It just. And again, it's she was doing with what she gave, was given. Like I mean, I just didn't like any of the dialogue or the screenplay. I didn't like. The, I mean, I can understand why a lot of actors wouldn't have wanted to play that role. Yeah. Um, and this guy, you know, he chose to. I just didn't find, I didn't find him charming enough. Yeah. To seduce her, and I also I, I, didn't I agree think with that. I didn't yeah. think the mom was neglectful enough for her to want to push away. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I know I don't want to get into defending this movie because I. No, agree. you didn't say you loved it. You just said you wouldn't really recommend it to anybody either. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I, I see your points and I agree with them mostly, but I, 
I, I, w- I was caught up in her character, and I agree with what you're saying about him and his dialogue, and he's absolutely not charming enough, and I didn't really totally buy that, um, but I liked that the mom wasn't totally abusive, although I see where we're segueing into the next film here, so maybe we should just do the segue. Well, okay, well, so I, I guess... The things that I don't like about a lot of today's movies, and it's funny that you brought up Missing and you talked about how, like, you know, your kids don't like, you know, old films and they want to see new yeah. films and and, the, and how the new films look and everything. And, you know, we're constantly talking about digital, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a movie when I was a kid, when I would just look at the movie pages and... Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't actually think it came out in theaters, and, and I may have only had it in my Boston area because it's Boston, and these films would make it to Boston. I don't think it had a big run anywhere. So I I, I want to say that it came out sometime in 82, even though it's from mm-hmm. 1980. But I was obsessed with this film from the standpoint that it kind of always stuck in my brain like, oh, just like this movie um, Times Square. It was like another one of these weird right. films about kind of punky teenagers and... And mm-hmm. I kind of always wanted to see it. And over the years, as I would see some other films and stuff, I always kind of would remembered, oh, there's this one film called Out of the Blue from 1980 that I, I really yeah. wanted to see. And then in recent years, it came back up again, a couple of things, because um, the main actress in the film, Linda Manns, who was in Days of Heaven and The Wanderers and... And then made a couple Gummo. of appearances. Well, she made a couple of appearances in the night. She was in Gummo, which yeah. I just started watching. <laughs> I'd never seen it and just started watching it, but um, I'm only 20 minutes in. And that movie's a, a real. I almost started it because of Linda Mance. I yeah. was like, I. Because I'm, I've always been fascinated by Linda Mans because of Days of Heaven. Largely, it's such an incredible performance, and uh, I've always just found her fascinating. And I had not seen Out of the Blue. I didn't, you know, I didn't really realize there was a whole movie with her essentially as the lead well a couple of years ago i had you kind of start and, and coincidentally it was like when we first started the podcast i kind of mentioned it yeah. to you off 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 air and then no sooner did i do that they found out that natasha leone and chloe sevigny um who are really good friends and yeah and chloe sevigny worked with linda manns on gummo oh they were crowdfunding to do a restoration of out of the blue and they got the they got a restoration done, and then it made a circuit um, like a couple of years back in art theaters. But I wasn't okay. I wasn't able to go to see it or whatever. But I I thought about it the other day, and I watched it, and then I told you to watch it, and. Again, I have no frame of reference of what this movie was even about, right? I didn't for for some reason. So I remembered the uh, the VHS of it. Yeah, and it's always that picture of like Linda Mann's like wearing a dungaree jacket and just kind of looking at the camera, right? But for some reason, I thought it was a science fiction film. Oh, okay. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's not at all. But for some reason, because of the VHS or something, I had it in my memory as some kind of science fiction film. It's not at all in any no. stretch of the imagination. So it's directed by Dennis Hopper, which I always think is interesting because he wasn't just an actor. He made some films, all kinds yes. of weird films. They're they're very different from each other. His films. Well, that like if you saw Colors, which I actually rewatched only yeah, like recently. a month and a half ago, you wouldn't you wouldn't know it's the same guy that directed Easy Rider, The Last Movie, 
Um, or even the hot spot, which is like, you know what I mean? Like you mean yeah, the hot spots totally weird out of that. <laughs> like, it's just an interest. Like, and then he made like at the end of his directing career, he made like weird movies like chasers or whatever. <laughs> oh, he directed that, didn't he? Yeah. So oh. I mean, it, it's weird. It, I guess the behind the stories of this out of the blue, it was started out. It was going to be like a sort of one of those cautionary tale made for TV movies. Yeah. It sound it, it's, it's got the premise of an after school special. Yeah. So that's what it was supposed to be. And then the director got fired. Right. And Dennis Hopper, you know, I mean, this was a guy who was, you know, he was battling drug addiction. Yeah. yeah. But he, he was in the midst of drug addiction during this film. Um, he, he didn't get cleaned up until right before, like in 85. And then he did uh, Hoosiers and uh, Blue Velvet. Oh, okay. He had gotten cleaned up right before uh, Blue Velvet. Uh, so I don't know whether, he, I think he was attached to it as an actor. But when the director got fired, he stepped in. And he said, well, he decided to rewrite the whole thing. Um, and he would even, by the day, they would have like 5 a.m. meetings and he'd bring the actors around and said, this is what we're going to do today. Oh, wow. So they were kind of writing as they went. and So the movie had like a, a film company that was in big trouble. And so it couldn't really get much of a release. And it went to Cannes. It played in competition. And apparently the audience was so shocked by the content uh-huh. That it was booed. Like there are many critics like uh, Rex Reed was there and comments on how like everybody was booing it. Wow. Because of the ending. Well, I mean, maybe the last half <laughs> and <laughs> the <laughs> ending, but like, I mean, this movie it gets dark, but so, you know, we put this thing on just because I was like, oh, I, I, I want, I'm curious about this movie. Like we didn't know, we didn't have anything to watch. I put it on and then, you know, just the first 10 minutes we were like, whoa what's yeah. this movie gonna be about and uh so then you know then the next night we watched and we were gonna watch like another 10 minutes and then try to like because we were we were tired and we ended up watching the whole thing yeah i know we haven't really got into what and this it is, is short i think it's 85 minutes so it, it's not like you were up for watching the mother and the whore all night yeah so here's what I, some opening comments before we even get into what this film is about and then i want to hear your take and then yeah. we can maybe talk it so you know, again, I always like sort of coming of age stories and, and teenage stories. And, you know, I mean, I grew up in the 80s. And so I get this like, I don't know, I'm going to call it a hidden gem, but like this, you know, chestnut from 1980 yeah. unearthed. And it's, you know, shot on film, looks like the period, but it's also all location work. There's no sets. Yeah. Um, so it has a lot of realism as far as the look. And then you got Linda Manns in a lead performance. Yeah. I think it's her only lead performance. Now, this film, it has a lot of flaws. It has things that don't quite work. There's problem. There was no budget to actually use Elvis songs in the movie, which she's a big Elvis fan. And I feel like if they could have got the money to use as actual right. songs rather than copies, that would have been better. There's obviously a feeling of kind of um, spontaneity where they were just making some stuff up. Yeah. There's a little bit of a looseness to some of it. And there's also just very long takes that are very actor centered. Yeah. And then there's like the mom is played by this actress, Sharon Farrell. I'm not saying there's yeah. anything wrong with the performance, but like the, her, her mom is addicted to heroin and they show some stuff, but she didn't, you know, I don't think in 1980 actors really knew how to play heroin addicts. Right. Yeah. There was, <laughs> weren't a lot of reference points. 
that part felt a little false to me. But here's what I thought was very was interesting, is that this movie, if I was to compare it to anything, I felt like Dennis Hopper was channeling Cassavetes. I thought that too. Yes. He, he I created yes. this thing where he's setting up scenes for actors to do things, and it had a feel. It just had this feel of a story of a fucked up family. Yeah, it, it is very like Cassavetes. The filmmaking is very different. It, it's it's much more controlled than Cassavetes, but it is that kind of people on the edge of their emotional reality kind yeah. of struggling and fighting to uh, hold together somehow, even though they kind of hate each other. You know, I, I'm just thinking of like Woman Under the Influence. That, or, that's what it reminded me a lot of, actually. Yeah. Um, not not in terms of plot. It just, there was something about that. And, and that excited me. Um, yeah. What also excited me is Linda Manz's performance is kind of mesmerizing. I could not take my eyes off her. And there were a few scenes where it was her and somebody else talking in, a, in like a long shot or not a, not a distant shot, but a long, but a lengthy shot. Uh, and I like there were scenes with her and her mom. And I realized I was only watching her and not the mom. Yeah. She's like, a, you know, it's, it's a shame that she wasn't discovered by more directors and found a way yeah. to use your talents because and again I, this is the problem with hollywood uh in general at the time is they weren't interested in telling stories about women or teenage girls and yeah. why it's become a cult classic from my understanding of reading is that there are a lot of like actors uh they they, they look at her female character a teenager and they go wow that's a very realistic teenager performance and a, and a story about a teenager I totally buy her character completely. Uh, and it, the other thing is, uh, we were talking earlier about obligatory scenes, right? You know, in the vampire, hopping vampire movies, like you've got to have this scene and you've got to have this scene. And it's sort of like in troubled teen stories, you have to have certain scenes. But what this movie manages to do in her and in the Dennis Hopper character, I think, is create characters that are so unique that they don't feel like they're just playing out the obligatory uh, dysfunctional family movie. Um, she's so specific. She's such a specific character that she makes the story unique. Uh, the way she interacts with other adults is really interesting. And then she has these two friends that she kind of goofs around with. And she runs away from home at one point, uh, which is an incredible sequence. But uh, she's such a unique character that for me, that's what makes this movie stand out from uh, what might otherwise be the after school special kind of story. And, you know, it's funny. It, it's funny, it was supposed to be a movie about like a psychiatrist helping this girl, and he's got like two scenes and he's totally useless. Well, it's funny because that, that that was uh, played by uh, Perry Mason there. Yeah. And his part, right, that's the part that probably got left over mm -hmm. from that trying to help a kid who has problems. But uh, Dennis Hopper had different plans. And let <laughs> me tell you something, right? If you want to look at the best performance in the movie, it's Dennis Hopper. I mean, that guy oh, without question. Yeah. is absolutely so incredible. And I'm not sure if he was just on stuff when he was making the movie, but the way he acts when he starts raving, and yeah. drunk, it is so realistic in a way that I don't see in any movie. I also think it's the best Dennis Hopper performance I've seen. It, and because it's the least Dennis Hopper performance I've seen. 
right? Like he's he's one of those actors who fell later in his career, like De Niro, fell, falls into a little bit of a caricature of themselves. Yeah, I think that's probably because of his post uh, Blue Velvet, right? He became famous of this villain, and I think some of those trademarks made its way into his later work. Yeah, and this is Dennis Hopper without any of the Dennis Hopper trademarks. Yeah, I mean, and then this movie, the plot, you know, again, it's really weird. It's like, I don't want to give it away, except for to tell people that they're in for this movie. It is a dark mother effing film, and it starts off dark. With a, I mean, that scene is sensational at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And then when Dennis Hopper comes back on the scene, he's away in prison and he, and he comes back home, you know, rather than your traditional, oh, now he has to deal with kind of his actions and things get right. better. It's actually realistic and more like, no, this guy's going to be the same disgusting, depraved loser yeah. he was at the beginning <laughs> that messed up his family in the first place. And then there's reveals. And it was pretty much, you know what it's so great is the movie kind of lets the audience figure this out before yeah. you get the reveal. But there's a very creepy relationship he's has with Linda Manns. And it's alluded to in a weird, creepy way in the behavior, a way that I think Hollywood completely would shy away from today. Oh, it, it would be impossible to do this movie today, which is one of the reasons it's so great. Yeah, because then it, then it all pays off. You, you get to understand why is she the way she is yeah. throughout the movie. And then it has an ending that I think is what like cost a lot of booze in the movie, like you said. But I think it was the greatest <laughs> I, I was blown away by the ending. I loved it. It was not what I was expecting, but it felt absolutely perfect. And I understand people because the last 10 minutes, it's like it just takes a direction and does so fearlessly without looking back. And you're either along for that ride or you're not. At that point, I was along for it because of the characters. Um and because of these two performances are so powerful and so unique, they really suck you into the movie. And then it, of course, has to have an ending as unique as its characters, right? It can't just have like, well, the psychiatrist helped her and now she's got a job and life's, you know, she's got it all worked out. It didn't have the happy ending that you expect uh, from these kinds of cautionary tales. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, this movie... <laughs> to let it happen to a teenage character, it, you just could not make this movie today. Right. Well, first, what's even worse is that some of the things we're alluding to, and again, we're alluding, so you can figure it out, is that they happened to her before her father went to prison, which means she was a little girl. Yes. <laughs> and and then the creepy thing is the mom is kind of like, there's a whole thing going on where the mom is just as terrible. And, uh, you know, in contrast to Palm Trees and Power Lines, the mom character made a lot more sense in in out of the blue right and we understand why the daughter behaves the way she does it it feels like the movie was able to go into characters in ways that palm trees and power lines was afraid to they're a similar situation right they have these messed up home lives and so it's this teenage girl kind of trying to negotiate a horrible world I guess unless you get a filmmaker out there that had a shitty upbringing and rose above it to make films and is going to make films and understands these characters, I, you know, a lot of people that are in making movies today, 
they're not they're not really trying to grab anything about real life and i know this is just a yeah. movie and then like i said there's some problems with the film as far as structure etc but it just felt like there are people right we we know that like i mean i live near a city that has a big drug problem and there's a lot of problems yeah. in the middle school because of the kids having to live these awful environments with parents getting arrested yeah. and, and other things and i think about the fact that this is an interesting side of life that is being captured in this movie and i kind of would like to see more of those types of things um and we're not getting those kind of stories yeah and there were <laughs> the other thing i was thinking about is you know the old movie thing right and it, i think in in a bad print this movie would have looked like an old movie but this 4k restoration it it still looks like it takes place in the 80s right um but there's actually some fairly complex camera movement and choreography and, and blocking going on uh so it's not i was expecting more of a gorilla type grab as you can kind of it, almost almost more cassavetes but there was actual uh camera movement and choreography going on that was more complex than what i expected for this film no hopper kind of i mean that's the thing is he was this crazy dude he was in drugs and all this but he knew what the hell he was doing he knew what the hell he was doing. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned some, some of the faults with this film. And I think one that I initially saw as a fault, but I don't after thinking about it, is that when he gets out of prison, he becomes the main character for a little while. Uh, the film really focuses on him and his struggles, and she takes uh, sort of a supporting role for a little while. And at first, I I kind of missed her because she's on. She has less screen time in that section, and then I realized that w we needed to know both these characters sort of individually in order to understand their relationship. And so, I agree. so I don't necessarily think that's. So I actually I'm going to go right out there and say I think this film is a masterpiece. And, and sometimes a masterpiece has flaws, right? Yeah. But, you know, I'd like, like, to me, if I was putting a list of 250 together, I'd put this over the mother and the whore. Yeah, in a way. yeah. yeah um, I just think it's, when, we, when we, we always look to see if we can find a film that we can champion that is that, um, the Sleeping Beauty, the... yeah. The hidden gem, and the I hidden feel like gem, and this this is definitely a hidden gem. This is an overlooked masterpiece, I, in my opinion, and uh, yeah, just I, I don't. I was just so struck by this film, and uh, I am grateful that I saw the restored version. You know, some of the things I noticed, and again, I don't know unless you saw the like I could see an original film print uh, or the VHS. There's the girl that she's antagonizing who was the sister of a kid who was killed um, in an accident yeah. that's referenced at the beginning of the film. And that girl's voice is dubbed terribly by yes. somebody who clearly doesn't match up with her. So I'm wondering if these were things that had to be restored because there wasn't good sound quality or something. It's it's possible. It's also possible they just didn't have a good take and had you know it had to dub it and because it it's clear i mean the movie i was talking about the camera movements and stuff but even still the movie is pretty low budget and uh you know it was shot in canada they did what they could with what they have but uh, there are definitely some budget limitations and i think that might be one of them yeah i mean it's shot in vancouver and there's another thing too the elvis songs i would i don't know and i haven't been able to find anything on this was it something where he used Elvis's songs in the original, and then of course there was rights issues that can't be resolved, right. and so they put it in a, a sound alike? 
Right. And some of it's like her singing along. So that works. But, you know, I'll forgive a lot in a movie that I think is great. And so this movie. So one thing that I need to point out about this movie is there is a scene where she goes to a punk show. Yeah, that's a famous, that's a famous, uh, like a, like a locally famous Canadian punk band. I went to some punk shows in the eighties. Okay. Quite a few. And uh, punks were often depicted in movies in the 80s. There, you know, even like, I don't know, Friday the 13th, there's like, here's yeah, a crew that, of punks. Right. That, it sort of became the, that the, like the punk caricature. Yeah, the punk caricature, which is always a guy with a spiky leather jacket and a mohawk. And then, you know, there's like a little crew that you have. Um, so I went to punk shows in the eighties and they were not like that. They were, what they were like is exactly the way they were in this movie, which is just people wearing jean jackets and like whatever clothes they have. Not everyone is dressed up in punk dress. The band was exactly like an actual punk band where it's just like some guys with normal haircuts and tattoos, uh, not all dressed up in the punk aesthetic. And so that's something that I just it really struck me in this movie is how realistic that sequence was and how it wasn't seen through the sort of anthropological eye of Hollywood that tries to categorize people. I'm thinking about like we, I was complaining about the post, the Spielberg movie, the post. Yes. And how they have the, the hippies protesting. And it's just like they're basically a cartoon version of protesting hippies. Well, and that's this what always movie, bothered me about yeah. that, because I'm like, you have a reference. Reference. You have Gordon Willis's shooting of all the president's yeah. men. That's how it looked at the time, which is only two years removed from the period. Can't you just make the film look like that? Exactly. And and this film, uh, I mean, of course, it's made then, so it looks like that. But it also didn't do, it doesn't fall for the caricatures, which even movies in the 80s were doing with punk rock. Uh, and so, it again, it's just a very realistic look. And that scene kind of sold me on the whole movie because I was like, I've never in my life seen a punk rock show portrayed realistically where it's like a big empty gymnasium and there's just a crowd of people there. It's not packed all the way to the walls. It's, it, it, it was so perfect. Uh, so anyhow, that's my rant on that, which is just, uh, it, it, it sold me on the film because of the realism. Well, you're getting at something that has always something that I like is films that, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I recognize, you know, my period, but this film and it's funny there's another film hardly ever seen though it gained a cult following i loved it because it came on cable in the early 80s and then i actually in like 89 i got to see it uh when in that old village east cinema was uh over the edge i've never seen it well with matt dillon never seen it well you you do you know now that you've seen this you gotta go watch that okay because it, it just it has that similar thing it really captures not, I mean, again, everything has a plot and this things, but it captures what I vividly remember peep kids looking like and high school mm. looking like. It, it, and it's, you know, any movie that you would have now that was set in the 80s, I can only imagine what a costume designer and stuff would make everybody look like the ultimate caricature of what an 80s kid really looked like. Yeah, with, with lots of neon when, in fact, people were really wearing a lot of denim in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, even though it was uh, Vancouver in 1980, Linda Manns and her little cronies looked like the tough kids that I remember going to high school with. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They looked like the tough tomboy kids. 
Yeah. So, I mean, but if people want to see something like this, you got to be, it's strong content. There's, there's, there's. Yes. Dark subject matter, stuff that Hollywood's uncomfortable uh, tackling with today. And also, you know, today's younger critics would have a field day chewing down. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. This this is not this is not a movie I recommend to people that are not, you know, serious film fans. Because I think that, I don't know, I, I, I think it's, it, it, like you said, there are some weird structural things that I kind of like, but you have to be able to take those on and not, you know, and, and all those scenes that don't really work, like that dubbed one you're talking about. Um, I actually just thought that woman was a terrible actress, but. And it could have been too. No, but now that you mention it, I realize it was dubbed. But yeah, you got to know that this is, yeah, it's not easy content. But it's also not, I don't feel like, is done to torture the audience, right? There's sometimes, there's there's hard content where I feel like this is really just, uh, they're just trying to put us through something horrible, right? And shock us or traumatize us. And uh, because of the realism of this movie, I don't feel like it's trying to do that. Well, and my last note on this, going back to the ending, which again, we, it's always a tricky dance with us trying to tell a movie without giving too much away. But I will say that so many of these types of films, and I call them the independent films, don't really have an ending because they can never figure it out. So they kind of just have like whatever, and I guess life goes on, and you don't really know yeah. what's going to happen with the characters. This film has a very, very definitive ending, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah there's a movie i want to compare the ending to but i won't because i don't want to ruin it okay well, anyways <laughs> i'll tell you later <laughs> okay that's it for today's episode kids um you know we're going to be back on the mic in a few weeks i don't know if we have any horror movies to talk about that was what we were going to talk about next so we'll have to see we'll have to talk offline yeah there's see a, if you can figure there's it out. a few that have come out this year that i'm sort of curious about taking a look at okay so, you know, there there might be some horror coming up. All right. I, I, I've been keeping a list of like, oh, I'm not going to watch that one yet. I'm saving that for the horror episode. So maybe it's time to start watching some of those. Who's Sarah the Bone Woman? What? Yeah, that, that's a, the best reviewed horror movie of the year so far. Mm, all right. Well, you, you put together a list for me and I'll start knocking them down. Okay. All right, everybody. All right. Go see some Until stuff. Until next time. Uh, go see the Taylor Swift movie. Well, no, that's not till mid-October. So, you know, I don't know yeah. what you're going to see in the next few weeks. I don't think there's anything worth seeing coming out. But uh, Yeah, I saw that Indiana Jones movie. I don't recommend that. I told you not to see it. <laughs> well, it took me five sits to get through it. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. They didn't even use the theme well. No, nothing about that movie worked. It's weird. It's I, I can't decide if it's a worse movie or slightly better than the last one. But I say the last one... I think it's better. The last one felt more like a Raiders movie, even though it stunk. But this movie, I don't even know what it was. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, let's move on. I, I don't uh, want well, to we're moving go off. off on a Goodbye. Rant again. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.